Welcome to Lax Historical Context. I'm Sean. I'm Sasha. I've just taken the guilty sip. Sasha's offended. I am greatly offended. We're not supposed to drink until we introduce the episode, John. But I mean, I wanted to take a drink. I've had this before. It's tasty. I know. I have also had it before. And it is tasty. I think you brought it to the beach the other weekend, didn't you? Uh, that was you the, the lemon one. It was summer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, today's episode, uh, we we are discussing. Uh, it's another uh, examination of. A movie. Of, yeah, of historical film. We got some good feedback, and mostly we, we felt really good. I just really liked the, it. the Gladiator episode, yeah. And for me, it's a lot less research. Yeah. So it's a nice little break. Yeah, because the way we do this is Sasha watches a movie. Yes. I turn off my phone for three hours yes. while she watches it. Because she will text me, okay, I'm going to start this movie. Yeah. And then I come back three hours later with just a... just ridiculous amount of questions to research in addition to like the general accuracy of the movie yeah uh so we're doing another one of those today Yay. it was a lot of fun we enjoyed it we and like i mean i, I said, don't know if i enjoyed the movie to no, be honest i mean the episode we yeah. enjoyed doing the episode the, the episode and i learned some fascinating stuff about this one i learned nothing about anything <laughs> because i just watched the movie and was like the movie's garbage it's not very good yeah although I, it's directed by john woo one of the things i will correct you on uh-huh. uh well not necessarily correct you on but you know pause it in right there uh-huh. there is some astonishing historical accuracy but in moments where you would never fucking expect it okay um so <laughs> so the movie i know what moment i hope it is and it would make me so happy <laughs> if it was but uh we'll get to there when we uh, get to there the uh the the movie we are critiquing uh-huh. historically is the nicholas cage box office bomb war movie was it a bomb wind talkers and yeah it bombed oh it man was, it was made on oh no oh, nicholas cage and john woo thank you very much it was made on a 115 million dollar budget <laughs> Which okay. Twenty years ago was a lot of money. Yeah, it was a lot of money, but I don't it think made, that budget went very far. It only made like fourteen million dollars in its oh, opening ouch. weekend. Yeah, John Woo has since limped back uh, to Asia and is working in that film market uh-huh. because that basically halted it, his like, Hollywood ended his career. career. Oh he's, shit! He's making like uh, propaganda films in China Nuh-uh. now. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Sorry, John Woo. Yeah. Face Off was great. Face Off was great. <laughs> I have a soft spot for Broken Arrow. I love that movie. I've uh, never seen it. It's really good. More Christian Slater. Oh. He's cool. It took me a while to realize it was Christian Slater. Christian Slater FYI. and uh, John Travolta. Oh. Yeah. And now that we're uh, fantasy football uh, opponents again shortly, Howie Long from huh. the Fox NFL pregame show. Why? Random acting. Who knows? Who cares? Claire okay. Danes is in it. Okay. I think it's Claire Danes. I don't fucking know. Anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, so we're 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 looking at uh, Wind Talkers. Yes. Claire Danes not in Wind Talkers. No, some chick from. Oh, I looked up what movie she was in. The token a, romantic interest. Yeah, she's yeah. a British. By the way, that plot line. I mean, okay, we'll get to it later. But that plot line was a bullshit. Like, it was really dumb. It was so dumb. I don't know why it was even there. That was my problem with it. So uh, for those that don't know and have never heard of it, Wind Talkers is a, I think it's a two, 2002 yes. war film. It was delayed. It was supposed to come out in 2001, but everyone was like 9-11. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we don't want to sh- see war. Yeah, we probably shouldn't release a war movie right now. So it got delayed. Uh, but it came out in 2002. It is, 
uh, how do I say this politely? Purportedly, mm-hmm. the story of the Navajo Code Talkers. Yes. In classic Hollywood fashion, it's really about the white men who led the Very Navajo much Code so, Talkers. Yeah. yeah. This this is not a movie about Indian people. Yeah. Um, no, it's far from it. And and it's directed by John Woo, famous for his way over the top action movies. Way over the top action movies and weird artsy scenes. Yeah. Like slow mo for no reason. Yeah. He likes the spinning camera. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, he managed to tone down some of the more stylized stuff. Yeah. Like his his trademark shot in all of his movies. Yeah. Is, there, there was no slow flying dove. There wasn't. But he, his trademark shot in most of his action movies uh, is the point of view from the bullet as it flies oh, through okay, the yeah, air yeah. and hits the, the dude. They didn't put that in this movie. Although it would have fit. It would have. Yeah. But... Uh, I'm pretty sure he used more pyrotechnics than actual World War II used. I yeah, I have some thoughts about that too, but we'll get into that yeah. in in a minute. Uh, but first, let's talk about our beer, which is also yeah more about white people than it is Native Americans. You uh, you selected this what you yes. call cop out beer. It, I call it cop out beer because again, like we wanted to do Native American themed because you know that's what. Wind talkers should be about. It should fucking be. It should be, be about. about that. Yeah. However, it's really hard to find Native American themed beer that aren't racist. Or that like, aren't like, racist. When we did the Native American episode mm. and when we were discussing this one, we once again expressed our fear that we would walk into a liquor store and find whiskey yeah. named Firewater. But which for the most used to part, be made. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, most companies have gotten rid of that sort of imagery on their liquor bottles or yeah. beer bottles, except for this brand that I'm holding in my hand. Yes. <laughs> it is Leinenkugels. Everyone knows Leinenkugels. Yeah. And it's their grapefruit shandy because I fucking love grapefruit. You want to fight me about it? It's delightful. <gasps> their summer shandy is better, but this is a tasty mm. little tasty little treat. Yeah. And so if you've never seen a bottle of Leinenkugels, it has a Native American-esque woman, I would say esque, because I feel like... No, she looks Native American. I don't know. She looks really pale to me. I think they probably did that to class it up for the, the market. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway. Um, and for the record, I did well, I did research to do like Native American owned wine. There's a couple Native American owned wine brands and a couple yeah. of Native American owned breweries. But they're all in areas that we can't get their, yeah. their beverages. Which here. was the same yeah. trouble that I had. Which is why I was like, oh, man, I have to go find just the racist landmine of a yeah. whiskey bottle. So. Uh, per your direction, the Line and Kugels website, yes. it actually has a, a an FAQ um, that actually addresses why there's a Native American on their mm-hmm. beer bottle. And they say, uh, the Native American Indian who graces our label is a symbol of the rich heritage of our area. Line and Kugels has been brewed in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin for over 145 years. The Santee Sioux and the Ojibwes were the area's first Native settlers. Chippewa Falls also lies in the heart of what is called the Indian Head Country. Mm -hmm. The Indian Head area was so named because the border of the northwest corner of Wisconsin forms the profile of an Indian. That seems racist, but continue. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. We've featured the Native American Indian on our label since the 1930s as a tribute to this special area that is rich in Indian history. Know in the 1930s, it didn't start off as a special no. tribute. Like, no. get your no, we call I, your bullshit. Dudes. Yeah, 
But so the the grapefruit shandy, it does not have a, a, a blurb, blurb on the bottle. Um, but the website also says of it that it is a traditional shandy, is beer mixed with a little something extra like lemonade, soda, or ginger ale. Mm-hmm. and Kugel's grapefruit shandy is our take on this tradition. Each batch begins with our traditional vice beer. We then combine it with natural white grapefruit flavor that adds a note of fresh-cut citrus. Because here, refreshment is our greatest natural wow, resource. Wow, they're even racist with their grapefruits. It's got to be a white <laughs> grapefruit. Yep. I see how it is. Uh, for the reference, uh, if anyone out there is really intent on enjoying our podcast to the max, uh-huh. uh, they, they recommend it pairs well with summer salads, vinaigrette citrus marinated grilled shrimp, Ooh. And blueberry lemon cheesecake bars. Ooh, I could see that. Let's make some of those. <laughs> um, it's actually like if you're going to a beach, if you're gonna spend some time outdoors, get a six pack of this. Any really any of the Lion and Kugel shandies. Yeah. Perfect for summer weather. Yeah. And very refreshing delightful. and light and crisp. I can't they're say good. I've had their plain white beer though. You haven't? No, I think I've only had the shandies. Really? Yeah. And I mean again, I love them. Uh, what I don't love about them, they're only 4%. So maybe as a chaser with a shot, if you want to try to get fucked up on these, you would yeah, have to drink if like, you, if you a drink case a, of this. If you drink like seven or eight of them, though. Yeah. But that's probably more than you want to drink if yeah. you're drinking outside. Let's if be If you're real. drinking seven or eight of them, you're going to have to pee a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so okay. with that, um, do we want to do like we did with Gladiator? And yeah. have you just kind of... Give a, a layout of of the movie, whatever one would call the plot of Wind Talkers. Oh my God! Okay, so Wind Talkers starts off <laughs> in Navajo country, which I honestly, in my notes, it says, well, "Where the fuck is this? Utah or some shit?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, I guess it's New Mexico. Yeah. Okay, New Mexico. <laughs> Um, and it opens with the main it's Arizona. The main character. <laughs> I think the main character is from Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. The main character whose name I didn't catch until oh. midway through the fucking movie yeah, for yeah. some reason. Yeah. And it's super dumb. It's Ben Yahtzee. Yeah. I think they say pronounce it Yahtzee. Yeah. But come on. Yeah. It's Yahtzee. And then I don't know the other of the fat guy's name. So I think I called him fat guy for a while in here. But I think <laughs> his name is Whitehorse. Yeah. I was, uh, about, I was about to say, if you don't have it there, I'm not correcting you. So I know what his name was and I'm not telling you what it Yahtzee. is. <laughs> We're going to call him Yahtzee because that's what everybody called him. It's somehow more respectful than what John Woo did. Uh-huh. Um, and his friend Whitehorse, I guess, volunteered for the army. Uh, this was a question I sent. This was one yeah. of the first questions I sent Sean because I wasn't sure if Native American peoples were eligible for the draft, and if they had to partake in the war. I will. I will answer those questions. Yes. Like right now. <laughs> I mean, sure. Since we get to that yeah. one, um, let me let me just open up my note okay. notepad here because there are some specific dates I want to get right. So while he's looking up that, um, I'll just I'll set the scene. Yahtzee's saying goodbye to his wife and child, who's like a one-year-old baby. Why, by the way, he's an infant. Yeah. Best baby acting I've ever seen. <laughs> He's like crying for his dad as he gets on the bus. I'm like, yeah, that's commitment, baby. The kid's going to be <laughs> yeah, an Oscar winner. Yeah. And then everyone, when he grows up, everyone finds out he was in Wind Talkers and now he's blacklisted. <laughs> yeah, you're not so going to anyway, be in so, any So uh, yes, Native Americans did have to sign up for the draft. Okay. Um, 
even all the way back in World War One, they had to, even though the U.S. had yet to declare them official citizens. Well, yeah, because they're technically um, sovereign nations, aren't they, within yeah. the United States? Um, they had to register, but in World War One, when they weren't citizens, they had to register for the draft. Mm-hmm. In the intervening years, uh, in two different acts, the Native Americans were granted citizenship. Once in 1924, uh, the second time. Uh, was the Nationality Act in 1940, which not only again made them citizens, uh-huh. but also stated that they were required to register for the draft. Okay, so they were probably more than likely drafted or volunteered, possibly? Mm, uh, yeah, not necessarily drafted. I feel like, I'll though, it that, that it seemed like they both volunteered. Fatty encouraged Yahtzee to volunteer. <laughs> I think that's my that's my idea. That's your head cannon. Yeah. Fatty encouraged <laughs> Yahtzee to volunteer. Because I, I wasn't paying attention during this part. I don't know why what else was going on in my world, but like they were talking on the bus. Oh, now I remember what was going on. I was trying to fold laundry while doing this. <laughs> um, and so for those of you who hate subtitles, there are brief portions of subtitles in here. Yeah, so get DVD- ready to read. Yeah. The DVD doesn't have subtitles for everyone else, though. What? I went to turn on subtitles because uh, I, I wanted to make sure I caught any racist language or anything yeah. like that. And, uh, yeah, no subtitle options except for the translations from the Navajo language. Oh, wow. That's yeah. kind of messed up. It's kind of annoying. I missed yeah. some dialogue, and I was like, I don't care That enough. is not accessible. Yeah. And see, I didn't care enough to look up for my laundry, and then I look up, and I'm like, oh, shit, I was supposed to be reading things. So they're on the bus. They're going off to training. And then it cuts to an artsy fucking shot of a body in the water, and we're at Nicolas Cage's storyline, and he's yeah. in the war and i don't know if you felt this way or not this is world war ii by the way but i felt like this was the most graphic but less yet least graphic war stuff i've ever seen like there was no blood it was just the the blood that is in this movie is comically obviously fake yeah it's like Like really bright red Uh uh-huh bright red light red no viscosity at all it's like they dropped kool-aid on a guy yeah it's so weird. It's bad. Um, like at one point in this first opening scene of Nicolas Cage's storyline, some dude's hand gets chopped off and there's no blood. Nothing happens. Yeah. Nothing happens. May it's just well like, have, oh, his hand's there. Okay. May as well have been a lightsaber. Yeah. It was it's I don't understand how like there's so much gun violence, but no blood or like anything yeah. like, like that. Like it, it's rated R. You may uh-huh. as well have just gunned it in there. Yeah. But no. Yeah, so it it was very it was very odd. So we stylistic open, choice. We open on Nicolas Cage. Um, he's here in the middle of this battle, and like, whatever they're fighting, all his little like troop dies, and he's the only one that makes it. His unit. There we go. Unit. <laughs> uh, he's the only one that makes it through, and it was also weird because bullets everywhere. Bullets everywhere. Nicolas Cage doesn't get hit by one. Not one yeah. single bullet. And and I've always I've always enjoyed this cliche in war movies as like yeah. like comically like oh this enemy force wiped out this entire unit except this one guy and then it's like did they stop attacking and they were like dude that one guy's invincible let's not even go yeah, there yeah I have no idea how they got him out of this area because what it sounded like they were trying to hold an area and they weren't holding it and the enemy was coming in the enemy in this case this is the Japanese. Yeah, this is Pacific Theater. Yeah, and they were, like, getting attacked. They were getting hounded. And then suddenly somebody throws a grenade. Nicolas Cage gets shot by a grenade, like, gets 
shrapnel, I guess. Probably. Because yeah. Tommy tried to stop the grenade, <laughs> and then Tommy's a dumb shit or Not didn't Tommy. do it well. Yeah. I do have Tommy Y in my notes. Um, <laughs> Tommy Y. And then, oh, and for everyone's information. This is full-on ham-fisted Nick Cage. This is not yeah. Oscar-winner Nick Cage. No, this is... This is over-the-top B-movie Cage. But, you know what? I don't think it's quite at B-movie Cage yet. He's like a step down from full B-movie Cage. Mm. I'll give you that one. Yeah, yeah. I feel he's like not, he could have been more crazy. He's not at B-movie Masterclass. Yes. But he's B-movie. So anyway, Nick Cage gets hit by the grenade, and then suddenly he wakes up, and we're in the United States again. And Yeah. Yeah. In what I later learn is Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. They were not clear with that at all. Uh, I was like, are we in San Diego now? What the fuck is going on? Because in one part uh, in Yazi's story, we're in San Diego at Camp Pendleton and he's learning how to become a Navajo wind talker. And he's like, they kind of show how he's like kicking ass in the class and he's like number one student. And Fatty's trying to be number one student, but he's not. Yeah. But Fatty still like he did well, I guess. He did. Yeah. yeah. They were, yeah, I mean, I'll, yeah. Okay, and so actually, we, but we don't go to Yahtzee first. We go back to Nicolas Cage because this story, despite being about Native Americans, is all about Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Um, and he's in a wheelchair, I guess, when he got hit by the grenade. He legit got hit by a grenade. Yeah. And the it, only thing that happened to him is his ear got fucked up. Yeah, it perforated his eardrum. Uh-huh. And it fucked with the inner mechanics of it, so its balance was off. Yeah. Uh, I You you texted me the question of how long it takes to heal, yeah. which I'm going to be honest, I didn't answer that one. You bastard. Because I was more interested in whether or not that would warrant a discharge. I feel like it might. My mom has yeah. a lot of inner ear problems. Yeah. So uh, I know that it can really fuck you up. I couldn't find anything that would warrant a discharge, but I found a Marine Corps forum where uh-huh. people were talking about it, and someone had asked about enlisting, but he had a perforated eardrum and balance issues. Yeah. And someone posted like a section of a law that said he would be disqualified. He would not be allowed to enlist. Oh, but but so what if you're already in it? The, it I mean, it would probably depend yeah. on the damage. And the fact that there was a war going on, maybe they made an exception. But keep in mind, mm-hmm. his little nurse token love interest yeah. uh, helps we'll him cheat. That. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she helps him cheat to pass yeah. that test to get him back to war. Um, and so you see him in the wheelchair, and you think, oh shit, he probably lost a leg or some shit. And then he gets up and shows the nurse he can walk. And I was like, wait. Why the fuck are you here then? It was because of all of his balance issues. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> now I know, but it's just like, dude. Yeah, he didn't. They didn't say the balance thing until like an hour into the movie. Yeah, and they gave him some drugs that were supposed to help him with it. Anyway, he gets a. He has this nurse love interest. It was really one sided though. Like she was totes into him, and He's, he was just like he literally ignores meh. all of her letters. All of her letters he ignores. I would stop writing them. Yeah. She is a in, stalker. In one of the letters she even wrote, do you even read these? Mm-hmm. And he never replied he's, to any of he's them. He's a dick. Yeah. But he all feels bad because he killed his whole unit. Blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> and so Which nurse, he shouldn't, as he kept screaming throughout the movie, we have orders. Uh-huh. It wasn't him that did anything. Yeah, you had orders. But see, that kind of sets up the whole, like, he doesn't want to, you know, follow his orders anymore. But we'll get to that in a sec. <sighs> so anyway, he like 
is sick, but then the nurse helps him cheat the hearing test so he can go into the back into the Pacific Theater. Yeah, she like waves at him uh-huh. while he's doing the test with the headphones. Yeah, on. with the beeps. So he knows which hands to raise uh-huh. to make sure his hearing's okay, which it isn't. Um, and so he like really wants to go back to war. I'm not sure why. And there's also some like mention of his Catholic schoolboy like back plot yeah which they never bring up and his hearing never really becomes an issue in the war yeah either. and they bring it up they bring up his catholic schoolboyness like once more towards the end of the movie yeah and i thought he was like running away from something because they're like oh you beat up father what's his butt i'm like it's because he touched your your dingling didn't he <laughs> like is that the back plot you're not telling us <laughs> but they never they never say anything about it they mention yeah. it briefly and it drives me crazy that's what most of this movie is so he gets to go back to war uh he gets called in by the general or admiral or whatever some shit he's a marine whatever that high guy is uh, <laughs> and the guy was like hey have you heard of navajo code talkers they made a code that nobody can break so I had questions about that. One, was it only used in the Pacific Theater? Two, why were why was nobody able to break it? And three, I forget the other one. Uh, I will actually hold off on answering those for okay. now because I have them kind of enveloped into a long okay. response to your your sum down summary of the plot, such as it is. Okay, and so so we'll shelve those. What was the code? How did it work? Yeah. Where was it used? Why did it work? Um. So the guy was like, so we're going to give you a code talker and you have to protect him at all costs, basically implying that if he gets captured, you have to kill him Yeah. because we can't let the code get out there. Um, some of my other notes say, whoa, throwing around the Jap word a lot. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I was also confused because I thought a corporal was higher than a sergeant, but it's not. No. Um, so, yeah. And then there's a, you run on that beach, you sexy cage. Uh, so when. <laughs> what, wh- wow. Your notes, man. <laughs> uh, so then he goes to, well, I guess he's always, always in Hawaii. I, I it didn't do a good job of communicating. Yeah. This. So anyway, Yahtzee, White Horse, for some reason, gets sent off together, which also seems against protocol. Like I thought they liked splitting people up. They go to Hawaii and meet up with Cage, and turns out the person Cage's partner is is Christian Slater, who I thought at the beginning of the movie was a spy because he just loved talking. Like, he just <laughs> talked so much no, nonsense. He, w- he was the very stereotypical, good, all-American, I-like-everybody-and-am-the-good-boy boy. Yeah, and he just he just talked so fucking much. Um so basically he's like hey i'm here to protect you we're not friends this is nicholas cage to yazi because yazi was a uh, nicholas cage's dude uh yeah he was assigned to pretend this this uh code talk yeah protect yazi and then uh christian slater was assigned to protect white horse and yazi was like let's be friends <laughs> and then, uh, nicholas cage is like no thanks <laughs> no, I'm the, I have the thousand yard stare and I'm the grizzled veteran. Well, and he also didn't want to make friends with Yazi because he would knew at, knew at one point he'd have to kill Yazi. Yeah. So I think that was kind of part of it, I would assume. Yeah. That was 
that was his thinking of it. Yeah, I think. I think I think that's what they were trying to do. I don't think Nicolas Cage did a good job with this character. No, to he be really honest. didn't. Like, it was it was a very odd character. Um, and so while they're still in Hawaii, they meet you meet the ragtag team, the rest of the unit. You got Pedo Stash Hulk, which is Mark Ruffalo yep. with the horrible mustache it later became a beard by the time the war well, yeah not war but the movie ended because it had been combat yeah you have who i the person i called moose who is the racist guy yeah but he looked like his name should be moose i don't remember his name you have pretty boy whose name i also don't remember and then you have this other guy whose name i also don't remember they never really named characters in this movie it's big, not my fault big surprise you don't remember any of the names because they don't really say the names the racist dude was named chick Moose is a better name, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> and then I think they called Mark Ruffalo the Greek I or like Papas. Yeah. I think they called him Papas. And then the other two were just generic white dudes. Yeah, they were. Generic white dudes. They were referred yeah. to by where they came from. Yeah, like Tex or some shit. Hollywood. One was from California, I yeah. know. I think the other was Because he's all Florida. like, look at me, I'm a surfer. Yeah, I think the other was from Florida. Yeah, like, and so these... So you meet the whole gang, Chick's a fucking, or Moose is a fucking racist, and hates the Native American guys, hates Yazzie and Whitehorse, whatever, doesn't matter. Nicolas Cage meets up with the nurse, and she's like, buy me a drink, and Nicolas Cage is like, fine. <laughs> and she's like, I love you, basically, with my eyes, I want to have the sex with you, and he's like, I'm brooding. <laughs> and then they get sent off to the Pacific Theater like the next day and they go to Saipan. Saipan. Okay. <laughs> this is really bad. Um when I read the back of the DVD case, I thought they go to Spain. And I was so confused. You mean that you mean that country that wasn't in World War II? Yeah, I was like I don't know there was fighting in Spain. <laughs> I didn't know they used Navajo code talkers in Spain. <laughs> huh. Wow, Sasha. And I like how you didn't reread it to correct this. <laughs> no. And then I was like, oh, this is in Spain. <laughs> Although, from the film. You're really bad at watching <laughs> movies. From, from, like, the terrain they show. It was basically Spain. It could have been like, Spain, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was any like Pacific Island, to be I honest. I, no, I don't think yeah. it was. So basically, they get off the boat, and Cage is like, hey, Yazzie, stay on my ass. And by that, you know, it means Nicolas Cage is going to run off into the distance, killing all the Japanese people yeah, he yeah, sees. He, he does a straight-up berserker rage. Uh-huh. And you're like, didn't you just tell him to stay on your ass? And right. now you're just, like, running into the yeah. fucking... Okay, dude. Also, also, don't you have balance issues and yeah. can't hear? Like... Um, so code talkers are using the code to talk to the battleship, which will t bomb the Japanese strongholds on the island. Yeah. So that's what Yazi's there to do, and that's what Wild White Horse is there to do. And so they needed two because they needed a relay point because the radios couldn't reach the battleship without a relay connection. Yeah, they didn't, yeah depending on the radio model they had, the yeah. range wasn't enough. Yeah, and so they kind of like did that, and that's why there were two of them with every unit. Um, and so they were doing that. That was the first battle. Uh, I a lot of people died. They were buried. And then Yazi was kind of like 
freaked out about it because he never saw so many people get blown up with such so much fake blood. Uh, <laughs> terrible fake terrible blood. Terrible fake blood. And too much fire. Yeah. And so, like, they have, like, this, like, healing warrior protection ceremony White Horse does, and it's very touching, and Nicolas Cage is like, bullshit. <laughs> um, and then the next day, Yazi's, like, you know, taking a bath in the lake, in the river, which disturbed me because he went in with his pants on. Yeah. Like, I'm. why are you going to walk around the rest of the day with your fucking pants on? Like, your wet, sopping pants? Right. And then Moose shows up and decides to beat the shit out of him. Because he's racist. Because he's racist. But he's all like, oh. And Nicolas Cage watches the whole interaction and does nothing. Nothing. At all. I'm going to protect him. No, I'm not. I'm going to let this racist dude kick the yeah, fuck out of him. Yeah, and I was like, what the fuck? Stop him, Nicolas Cage. And finally, the one, the only, Mark Ruffalo shows up and breaks the, the fight up. He's an Avenger. Yeah. and, and That's then, what he does. He saves stuff. And then Moose was like... He looks like a Japanese guy. I thought it was just some Japanese guy taking a... I'm like, come on, you fucker. You knew it was your fucking com- comrade, you bitch. Ooh, this pissed Sasha yeah, off. Yeah, it did. Um, so battle is... Okay, so... And he also... Nicholas Cage also gets another letter from the girl for the, the nurse. Not his girlfriend, his stalker. We'll go with that. Um, the next morning, we already did that. I mean, the rest of the movie is basically battle. Mm-hmm. Interspersed with scenes of varying amounts of racism. Okay, and then so now we're at the next big battle scene, and he's like, Yay, battle scene! And his radio gets blown up, or he takes like a bullet to the radio and it like gets destroyed. Yeah, but he has a radio later, so I guess they had spares at base camp. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but also, uh, also, there was the scene where they. They stole the Japanese radio. Well, no, yeah, I'm getting to that. So this yeah. radio gets blown up, and then, like, Yazi looks at a dead Japanese guy and is like, whoa, I do look like a Japanese guy. Right. Racist. <laughs> and he's like, let me just drop, let me get in this costume, and we'll make it to the radio. Yeah. Station, sorry. I burped because of beer. Yep. Um, and... So they sneak past enemy lines with Yazi holding Nicolas Cage as his prisoner, and he's like, this is a prisoner. This is And Nicolas Cage knows Japanese for some reason. And it's like, this is the word prisoner in Japanese. Well, he knew one word in yeah. Japanese, yeah. And so anyway, they beat the shit out of Nicolas Cage. They get the radio. They save the day. They blow up people. Yay. Woo. Yeah. It was. And that was the time. So the reason they needed the radio contact was their own people were firing on them because yeah. they had the coordinates incorrect and they mm. were... Sh- being so they were supposed to fire off and i think that's when guy with wife died yeah he was just like blown up standing next to mark ruffalo and mark ruffalo was real like broken up about it i mean you know when your comrades fall well he, and you know what wedding guy jinxed himself because he was trying to give mark ruffalo his wedding ring the night before and as yeah. soon as he did that shit i was like well you're dead yeah yeah that's cool you know why because this script is full of cliches uh-huh so anyway they die. Everybody dies. They bury them again. This is the end of the second battle scene. Uh, Nicholas Cage gets drunk on, drunk on sake that he found mm-hmm. because, you know, apparently they just have huge cases of sake in the Japanese camps. I mean, I, I carry at least three with me everywhere. I go. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And so he's drunk. Guess what? When you have an inner ear problem, don't drink. Fucks up your balance. The inner yep. ear just fucks it up even more. 
So he basically pukes everywhere, passes out. Yazi does the protection ceremony over him, but then like Nicholas Cage wakes up in the middle is like, "Don't do that shit on me." <laughs> Whatever. Next battle scene, they take over a town. One white guy, the one with the flamethrower on his back, befriends a child. And, you know, they're nice to the kid. Nicholas Cage is nice to the kid once. Nicholas Cage's Catholic schoolgirl backstory comes back into play. Very, for, like, no reason. And Yahtzee yeah. was like, I was a Catholic schoolgirl, too! <laughs> yeah. And then they bond over that so now they're clearly bonded together and i think that was the uh, the that was the intention of the that scene. was the intention of having it yeah. in there but it, it came off as just so forced yeah like not well done not at all and then they get ambushed by the japanese mm-hmm. and at one point christian slater and wild white horse were together and White Horse was about to be taken captive, and Christian Slater was about to kill White Horse. And he's like, "I can't do it. We got this." So they fight together, and then epic. And then fight to Christian the death. Slater's head bloodlessly gets removed. Yeah, bloodlessly, totally. <laughs> bloodlessly, cleanest decapitation <laughs> uh-huh. ever, literally. And White Horse is like, "Shit!" White Horse is fighting them. Finally, the two Japanese, like there were four Japanese guys who came and took him away. Nicholas Cage sees it and is like, "Fuck." Fuck, 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 fuck. He was yep. going to shoot him, but then he decided, I'm just going to throw a grenade because I can't, like, shoot him. At least I can say I was, like, yeah. you know, getting more enemies than, you know, yeah. Americans. And so he killed White Horse, and then he told Yahtzee about it. Yahtzee was pissed. Um, and then they go to the final boss scene. <laughs> <laughs> Such as it is. Uh-huh. Uh, generic go. battle scene number four yeah and so <laughs> for some reason they have to take some other fucking hill and they'll get the whole island of Saipan or whatever so they're going storming up the hill Yahtzee's in berserker mode now right now because he's all pissed at yeah. Nicolas Cage for killing White Horse yeah he's mad yeah yeah and which... so he's making a lot of stupid fucking errors like I don't know leaving his fucking radio in the middle of the fucking battlefield like a fucking <laughs> dick <laughs> And so at one point they're all like, basically it's just Moose and Moose has at this point has been saved by some of the native Americans. So he's so been he's, redeemed. He's been redeemed in yet another war movie. And, cliche. and Mark Ruffalo is still being a great guy. Just being Mark Ruffalo Mark- who is a, has panic attacks, which I don't think they would have <laughs> let that into the army at any day. He has to like breathe through a paper bag sometimes. <laughs> so fuck that um and so they're all there oh man i missed one of my favorite scenes because it had one of my favorite questions in it uh so before battle scene two yes before battle scene two before battle scene two they're all together and christian slater because he's christian slater and the good old boy they're all talking about what they got waiting for them at home and what they want to do when they get home yeah because you have to do that Uh right and christian slater's idea is I'm going to put yogurt from this country of Sweden yep. with fruit and make fruit yogurt. <laughs> and I want to know, did was that like, did it not occur before then? Like, you'll, you'll just have to wait oh, and see. It was just, it was a moment where I was like, wait, is this fucker talking about making flavored yogurt? <laughs> uh, anyway. Back to the main battle scene, the, the end battle scene. Um, 
And again, keep in mind while all of this is happening, they're in mountainous areas with like fucking sagebrush. There's yeah. no way this is an island in the Pacific. Yeah, it's pretty obviously <laughs> it's, not Japan. It looks like, so I have a big mountain behind my house. It looks like that mountain. Yeah. Like it, that's what it looks like. Yeah. It's very obviously not the Pacific. Okay. So yeah, basically filmed in a desert, not a tropical island. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Yazzie's like making his charge, drops the fucking radio. Nicholas Cage is like, I'll go get the radio. He goes, gets the radio. <laughs> you seem so impressed with this movie. Uh, again, nothing hits Nicolas Cage until he's like carrying Yazzie back on his shoulders. Because at this point, Yazzie's been shot in the legs. Yeah. Um. Then, you know, he puts Yazzie down and then Nicolas Cage gets shot in the heart. Dun, or the dun, chest dun. area. Which is where all of the Cage power comes from. Yeah. And he dies. And then the movie ends. <laughs> Basically, we don't know what happened to his nurse girlfriend, Stalker. Uh, we don't know if Mark Ruffalo ever made it back to New York to build his taxi company. <laughs> uh, we never know if Moose was racist again. <laughs> uh, we do know that Yazzie goes back and like does a little ceremony for Nicolas Cage's character. Yeah, because even in celebrating the natives, you have to make it about how they yeah. venerated the white man. Like, forget the fact that his good friend White Horse died. Yeah. He's not doing a special ceremony for White Horse. No. It's for fucking Nicolas Cage. Yeah, white dude. White dude. Um, So, uh... That's it. Yeah. And so basically, let me do the quick summary of it. Of wind talkers. Nicholas Cage has to protect a Native American guy. Uh, he protects a Native American guy, and they win the war. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty much. And I'm done. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I'm gonna do uh, like like did last time. Uh, a couple of general uh, things. I've folded a lot of your stuff into them. Okay. So, and then I'll get to your other standalone questions that I felt like answering. <laughs> okay. I, cut, I cut a couple of them out. Okay. So, uh, first, the general, a.k.a., is this story true? The general summary. Uh-huh. In other words, did any of it happen other than there being code talkers there? Yeah. So, we know code talkers. I know code talkers are a thing. Yes. But was there a Yahtzee uh, or so Yazzie? In a, in a token sort of way, mm -hmm. yes, these things happened. Okay. Uh, the movie is sparse with dates and you know, there's like no specifics other than tomorrow we're going to Saipan yeah. and we can look up the date the battle began mm -hmm. because it doesn't tell us that shit. It clearly didn't want to be tied to the actual story. Yeah. It, 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 I feel like it did captions like for the first two scenes. Yeah. And, and then, then, it, then, just it, like, then it was just like, yeah, yeah. we're good. Yeah, and then it just gave up on uh -huh. it. Um, it. It really doesn't care about it. So there's like that whole token aspect of... Yeah. It, it's it's almost the definition of Hollywood's favorite line based on a true story. Yeah, this is based um, on a true story. Not to mention the fact that it's John Woo, who, notable action movie director. Mm -hmm. The combat is so fucking Hollywood. It is so it, bad. Um, as far as Nicolas Cage and uh, Yahtzee, uh, no, those characters are 100% totally made okay. up. I don't even remember Nicolas Cage's character's name. I think it was Joe. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, G.I. Joe, why not? Yeah. Um, uh, so the fact that they're all made up seems problematic because... 
you know, real code talkers. Yeah, and there weren't that many of them. Yeah, Actually, I was surprised how many there were, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, So there are conflicting accounts from actual code talkers regarding whether or not they were assigned battlefield bodyguards Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, the premise of the movie, we need to take Saipan to defeat the Japanese. Here, take this code talker, but don't let the Japs capture him. If they do, they'll get the code and the war is lost. Um, No. There, one, there were conflicting reports about it. Some were like, no, I didn't have a bodyguard. I was just the like, radio no, guy. No, I'm just like, the guy. Like, yeah. um, whatever, man. But also, by the time this movie takes place, this has happened. Like, I was reading some military history sites, and I don't know how true this is to like the general historian, mm-hmm. but military historians say that by this time, the U.S. had Japan reeling, and it wasn't so much a matter of if America would win, but when, but when, yeah. and how much blood and death America was willing to endure to win. Mm-hmm. And uh, spoiler alert for those that care: two atomic bombs worth. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, it wasn't our blood, so it was okay. Yeah, yeah. So the the uh, the conflicting accounts, um, and no one knows for sure if they were actually supposed to like prevent their deaths by any means Mm -hmm. shifty eyes and then of course obviously we've already discussed this you know the thing about experiencing life because everyone experiences it subjectively yes if you're a native american you're at the center of your story not some white guys not some white guys what nicholas cage isn't at the center of every native american story yeah it was white dudes as the leads in this movie about native soldiers yeah um all like yeah um, natives faced a shit ton of racism in their roles I would in the imagine. U.S. Army. But we, God forbid, we just make a movie about like that. Yeah. Right? Like, we have to focus on, like, B-movie Nick Cage and his cliche, everybody died and I'm scared. I mean, Moose was kind of representative of that racism, I guess, they had to face. Yeah, but it, it was more institutionalized. It wasn't so yeah. overt. This, there's one scene that I actually rather liked, although I still had problems with it. It was the one after uh, Yahtzee disguises himself as the Japanese yeah, and they yeah. go steal the radio. For those that haven't seen the movie, they're digging graves for their fallen soldiers and uh, an officer pulls up and it says, hey, I'm looking for... Oh, yeah, that I'm, scene. That I'm was looking, pretty good. I'm looking for Joe. Give me Joe. And he pulls him up and says, you did a hell of a thing and yeah. just pulls a silver star out of his pocket. Yeah, and gives which it. is my problem uh-huh. because no, it's not how that works. But two, Joe is like the dead guy. We all know it. Joe's like, hey, that yeah, this Native Yaz- American dude. Yazzie helped me too, dude. It was his idea, uh-huh. and he did the dangerous part. Yeah. And the guy goes, oh, the Indian, and he just like walks away. He's like, cool, whatever. Yeah, and 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 it that was more what it was faced. Where and it, was, it also annoyed me that Nicolas Cage gave the Silver Star. To Mark Ruffalo to give to married guy's wife yeah. instead of instead Yazzie. Instead of Yazzie, yeah. Like, fuck Which, you, dude! Yeah, so there were a lot of things about that that made me mad. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, so now on to the real questions. Okay. First of which is, how did this code work? Yes. It did was, I ask you that question? Uh, no, this okay. is one of the okay. general ones that I put in here because I figure okay. everyone would want to know this part considering, you know, it's a... Yeah. Know, movie about the code. Talkers. I mean, I got a gist from their training thing. The code, turtle was like the code artillery. was basically various native languages. Yes. Um, and but there were two versions of it. One was more 
uh, formal, and it was based on literally a basic simple substitution mm-hmm. where every word in an English or every letter in an English word, mm-hmm. you used uh, the native word. Instead. No, no, no. You use the native word for a word that starts with that letter. Oh, okay. So like f- if the English word uh, is um, the, uh, sorry, I wrote this backwards. For example, the Navajo word for ant, which is wolachi, uh-huh. uh, was used for the letter A. Okay. So if you were spelling out eat or something, yeah. you would say what it, something that starts with E. Or if you're giving coordinates a, like east, yeah. west, yeah. that sort of thing. So that's how it worked, which is why it sounded so nonsensical because yeah. there were also multiple options. Okay. There wasn't just one, one word, it, the, but but the code worked as simple substitution. Uh-huh. One thing stands for one thing. Yeah. And that's it. The second one um, was more informal, and it was literally just direct translation. Oh, so they would just yeah. basically speak their language to yeah. one another, yeah. and then be like, "Okay, yeah, yeah," and yeah, and the Japanese just couldn't figure it out. So I asked you this question, and hopefully, I'm going to get the answer. Did they not have like any history books or anything like any sense of American <laughs> history or no? Um, not nothing. So the movie was allegedly uh, allegedly hired three military. Uh, what's the word? Um, advisors. Consultants. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think they ever called them out of the office. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I'm talking of the from the Japanese perspective during World War II. Weren't they ever like? Like, this could be a Native American language. Let's go get some books on Native American languages. I mean, that didn't happen in real life. Can't blame this one on the movie. I know, but why didn't <laughs> it happen in real life? Why weren't they like, well, they have a bunch of these Native American code talkers. Because in the movie, they like show a torture picture of like a, yeah. a Native American person who was tortured by the Japanese to get the code. Yeah. So why aren't they like... Perhaps we should research Native Americans. Well, well, this is the important thing you have to remember. A lot of the native languages th- are not written down. Oh, that's true. A lot of them are oral. Yeah. A lot of them are not written in a textbook mm-hmm. anywhere. Um, so the third one, and this leads into a question that you sent me. What did they call tank and artillery? Yes. So this is uh, a direct thing. In the movie, they call the tank tortoise. Yeah. And artillery is called um, mini big guns. Yeah. This is because... The Navajo language uh, doesn't have words for tank, exactly, or artillery. Exactly, <laughs> it's you know it comes from a totally different world. Yeah. That kind of shit didn't exist, so they would use descriptive words mm-hmm. to describe it. We actually have the dictionary. I found that oh, while doing wow. the research. Yeah, of it's the a code talkers. Yeah, it is nice. a, it is fantastic to read, but it gets sort of weird when you're like. This word, oh, well, something like this makes sense, but they already used it for something else. Yeah, so they so, have to, like, yeah. do it else. So they get weird, and sometimes they just got really fun with it. Like, my favorites, uh, pyrotechnic is just fancy fire. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, got some fancy then, fire going on. But then, like, some military-specific ones, fighter planes were called hummingbirds. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so they would they would use descriptive So terms. did you go back and look at the movie and see if those two, if they matched up, if tank was the uh, proper I, word? Oh, yes, tank and uh, artillery were. Okay. Yeah, they used the right ones, tortoise and mini big guns. Those were real. Um, and that was the little surprising bit of historical accuracy. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> yeah. It was like, really? You can go that much research, but yeah. you can't think, maybe we should make this guy the lead yeah, character. Yeah, like, I mean, he was an engaging character, yet. Yeah. 
a lovely wife and child at home. He was good looking. I commented on his body a couple of times in my notes. (laughs) On to the Sasha questions. Okay. Now, but before we get to the, like the serious ones and the answers, I really want to give our listeners like a glimpse into (laughs) what it's like watching a movie with Sasha or having Sasha watch a movie and text you um, because she texts. By the way, I drink when I watch these. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes she texts observations. Uh Other times it's questions. Uh, (laughs) Two of the observations that you sent me, and I'm going to directly quote (laughs) these from the text. So don't you dare dispute this shit. One, war was hella hard without GPS. (laughs) Because it was. He like everybody's always pulling out these maps and are like. (laughs) And two, I would would like to use a flamethrower in my life. (laughs) <laughs> which remain, which actually reminded me of my favorite George Carlin quote, uh-huh. where he said, "You know, the very existence of a flamethrower proves that at some point in time, somewhere, someone said, you know what? I want to light that fucker over there on fire, but I'm not close enough to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but they look cool. It, yeah. Um, and then, and then my other favorite questions, which are just wildly unimportant <laughs> to why we're doing this, the least, not the least of which important." What nationality is Mark Ruffalo? <laughs> I was just curious because he plays a Greek guy in this. So Is he Greek? He, he is American, born in Wisconsin. Okay. His father is of Italian descent. His mother is half French Canadian and half Italian. Okay, so he's yeah. Italian. Because I was also kind of thinking that Moose <laughs> should be racist towards Mark Ruffalo as well. And he had this terrible southern accent Moose did. It yeah. It was clearly a, a yeah, not a real and, accent. And Mark Ruffalo had this horrible pedo stash. Yeah. Uh, so, and then you, you alluded to it earlier. I would like to point out, um, Ruffalo having the problems with hyperventilation. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and headcanon this, uh, that this is some sort of weird prequel to him being the Hulk in the <laughs> Avengers, which explains I mean, yeah. the cartoonish violence. Boom. Look at that. I'm fixing shit. Woo. And then your other two questions. What was the booze situation on the front lines? <laughs> and when was yogurt first combined with fruit? Just to fuck with you, I'm not answering them. No, I want to know when I, yogurt was combined with I did with not fruit. research them. I did not You're look it up. You're a monster. <laughs> and also, our podcast is about booze and history. How could you not look up what the booze sitch was? Because you specifically asked me something. But I just wanted to know because, like, Nicolas Cage found that whole stash of sake that he got fucking wasted on. <laughs> All right, so as to the real question as you asked. I mean, the fruit and yogurt uh, one was a real question. <laughs> <laughs> so I combined two of them first here. Okay. One was how many wind talkers were of native descent and how many code talkers were there? First of all, all of them. They were all native. You they misinterpreted native my question. My question was actually how many of the actors that played wind talkers were oh. actually of native descent? Okay. Because I thought they would pull some of this, like, yeah. it's a Mexican guy playing a yeah. Native American guy. Uh, I know the two that are in the movie are. Okay. Um, Adam Beach is the guy that plays Yazzie, and he's actually made a career on playing Native American okay. characters in major roles. Nice. Like, um, Smoke Signals? No, nothing. Nothing? Okay. Uh, yeah, whatever. Either way. He's mm-hmm. he's made a career. He's he's a pretty good actor. He yeah. was he he did a few years after this a substantially better war movie that better encapsulated the Wind Talkers. No, uh, just the experience of a Native American in World oh, War Two. Oh, what was that? Uh, he was in Flags of Our Fathers. Oh, 
I because one of the men that put the flag up on Iwo Jima was Native, Native American. American. Yeah. yeah, I was aware yeah. of that. And and that showed better the struggle with sort of that institutionalized yeah. racism and the refusal to acknowledge him and how the guy he played actually died an alcoholic just a few years after. Yeah, I when I was researching stuff yeah. for that. Uh, I haven't seen that movie, but my dad owns, I think, Flags of Our Fathers and Euro... What was the other one? Letters from Iwo Jima. Yeah, because they're the pair that yeah. go together. Clint Eastwood made those in 2006, I think it was. Yeah. They are... One is from the Japanese point of view and uh-huh. is, like, fully in Japanese. The whole thing is yeah. subtitled. And then Flags of Our Fathers is from the American point of view, but both movies are about uh, the Battle of Iwo Jima. Yeah, and they're, like, companion pieces to yeah. one another. There's, I think there's, like, one shot... In the movie that is in both movies. That's kind of cool. Um, and that was sort yeah. Of to I, I link just them. never watched it, but I think my dad yeah. has them on Blu-ray. Um, Flags of Our Fathers is is good. It's I hope that it would be better, but it is good, substantially better than Wind Talkers. <laughs> Letters from Iwo Jima, however, is fucking great. That huh. is a to, good I'll have to movie. watch it maybe. Um, anyway, so but is there a weird nurse storyline that goes nowhere? No. <laughs> well, then I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, okay, so the actors, the two lead ones, yeah. were native. But how many code talkers were there? And then uh, I'm going to answer a question you didn't ask because it felt relevant here. Uh-huh. So all the code talkers were of native descent okay? because um, it was just native language to them. Um, but one of the things that the movie sort of messes up and implies that kind of annoys me is that the code talkers were exclusively Navajo. Yeah, it seemed like they were just Navajo. Yeah, and that this only happened during World War II. Yeah. Which is not true. Hmm. The first code talkers were actually Choctaw and they fought for the U.S. in World War I oh, okay. as did the Cherokee. And they, they both just used their native language as code talk. But um, you'd have to have a Cherokee when a Cherokee and a yeah, Choctaw oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. a Choctaw. Yeah. So during World War II, that sort of expanded. Yeah. And you had the uh, Assiniboine. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Hey, they're the ones near Chippewa Falls. Yep. <laughs> the Cherokee, the Comanche, the Cree, the Creek, the Meskwaki, the Mohawk, the Navajo, the Seminole, and the Tlingit. Okay. All were in World War II. But they didn't just use their language, did they? Or did they all have a well, more uh, uniform I, code? I think they all used their own language. Oh, okay. That's, they were okay. sent to specific areas because the languages are so different. Mm-hmm. And their languages didn't really cross, cross that over, well. yeah. yeah. Um, there were more than 400 Navajo code talkers in the war. Dang. There were 29 originally that sort of founded this idea and they were the first uh-huh. ones. Um, and But the these natives, they went over in, in pretty substantial numbers. For the one example I found, 27 uh, Meskwaki went over to the war, which doesn't sound like a lot until you realize that that was 16% of the Meskwaki nation yeah, that was left. Yeah, that's a lot. And it's like their finest men, too. Yeah. Like their fittest, their future. And all of them died. Oh, All dude. 27 of them died. Yeah. Ouch. Um, so it, but if you don't count the code talkers just as everyday soldiers, mm-hmm. uh, 24,000 uh, reservation Indians and then 20,000 non-reservation Indians served in the military that's during a lot. World War II. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's a that's a really big fighting force. Mm-hmm. And, you know, good for them. Especially um, uh, after what we did to them. And then to go right into your other questions, why were code talkers only used in the Pacific? They weren't. Oh, okay. They were used in Europe, North Africa, Pacific. Like, but I got the vibe in the movie that they were only used in the Pacific. Like, yeah. like it was yeah. very clear that the g- I think he even said in the Pacific theater we're using code talkers. Yeah, no, yeah. it was not only in the Pacific. 
Um, and then, yeah, you asked about the draft already, so we're going to skip that. Now, they're not referenced in the movie that I remember, but you asked where the Solomon Islands are. <laughs> How drunk were you when you asked <laughs> I, me that? I think I probably meant the... No, they are in the movie, because that's where Nicolas Cage is first stationed. Yeah. Okay. So right. that's where he's first stationed, that's and then he was? gets back to okay. Hawaii. I think I missed I missed that part because yeah. I was I was like really, it, I, I was busy furiously researching whether or not he would have been discharged. Uh-huh. So the Solomon Islands are a bit northeast of Australia, and they were actually insanely important during World World War Two. See, it makes sense that the, he was there then. Yeah, the Japanese uh, initially occupied them in 1942, and the Allies basically spent the rest of the war fighting to retake and hold mm-hmm. them. Um, strategically important for supply reasons. Better to move things from there than all the way back from mainland Japan or the U.S. Yeah. So, um, then you said, on a scale of one to ten, how important was Saipan? Yes. Uh, Saipan was strategically important in the film. They kind of brush it off, like in passing, it gets like a token well, it reference. Well, says it was important. They said it was important, but like, like we need to hold it, they yeah, said. Yeah, they were like, in, but it was like one sentence. Yeah. It was clearly this is an action movie and not a war movie. Yeah, yeah. But And they say it's because, oh, we want to build an air base and be able to refuel and resupply, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, that's no doubt true. But the main part of the actual plan, by taking Saipan, it was still sort of in the middle of this chain of, of islands uh-huh. that Japan held. And so if they took that, they would basically cut the Jack, uh, the Japanese occupation in half, oh, preventing okay. mainland communication with those islands and to make taking everybody else easier because reinforcements wouldn't be so possible. Oh, okay. So it, so it, it was, was like a dividing as, line. Yeah, it was, let's blitzkrieg and take this island because then we can, you know. Okay. Yeah. It was. So it was a... It was an eight on the importance level. It was literally a divide and conquer. Yeah. yeah. Kind so of that, yeah. that sort of a thing. I'd give it an eight. Um, however, there is something else that I discovered about Saipan. What? This makes me hate this movie. Was it that it's not Spain? No. <laughs> it is not Spain. <laughs> okay. And now I hate the movie. No. So there was a chance for some brilliant fucking writing here to really hammer the point uh-huh. home about Native Americans in World War II. Saipan is home to an indigenous people known as the Chamorro. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. These people have a shockingly similar situation to Native Americans in that they were indigenous. Mm -hmm. They were completely colonized. By the time World War II rolls around, they're basically stuck fighting for the people who colonized them. There was some serious potential for some amazing story. Maybe that's what they were trying to do when they were in the town, when they were in that village and making friends with, like, remember Nicholas Cave gave that medicine to the one kid with a bad ear? Yeah, and I think that was just like, like they showed it as like the general idea of like winning hearts and minds, you know? But the movie completely failed to take on Mm -hmm. what it was like a really strong hook. Yeah. I like. Can you imagine a war movie that's nominally about Native American code talkers and then all of a sudden you get this scene to really emphasize mm. how dehumanizing we were to our own soldiers by showing our enemy doing the well, exact the f- same thing? The fact was, though, we never showed how dehumanizing we were to our own soldiers in this. This is true. Like they were, it was all like cupcakes and moose being a dick sometimes. Yep. Um, did they receive other training? Because they seem... Very unprepared for war. <laughs> yeah. Other question. Uh, yeah, they went through boot camp just like other soldiers, and then they went to code training. I just feel like Yazi was never prepared 
for the shootings. Yeah. Which I guess you wouldn't be if it's your first time exactly. at war. A lot of like, people weren't prepared. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then the last question that I'll answer anyway that you sent me was, Aww. how many friendly fire deaths were there in World War II? Yeah. I couldn't find exact numbers of deaths. Because that was from that one scene where they were getting yeah. shot on by their own guys. Yeah. And I couldn't find like any exact figures. Probably because, you know, if you're shooting into a live battlefield where there's it's, a little Yeah, it's kind of hard to really calculate that. So, but the one thing I read is that uh, typically in a war, mm-hmm. uh, friendly fire deaths account for between 2 and 20% of, of battlefield deaths, yeah. depending on what happened. But that range and that rate apparently has been like radically stable over time. Oh. Like, like no matter the technology and all mm-hmm. that stuff. They do, however, measure the rate which takes into account the number of soldiers on the field, specifics of it. So oh, so it, there's like a formula you can kind of plug into each individual battle. I mean, I guess. And then but probably you could average that over the course of a war. Yeah, but it but it's it's pretty steadily between 2 and 20%, mm. which is horrifying when you think about it. Yeah. Um, like, that's a lot of people. Well, I mean, married guy just got blowed up. Yeah. He exploded real good. He did. And then the Hulk... Uh, uh, Mark Ruffalo went back to New York, started his cab company, got so enraged at people and had a flashback to that, and then he became the Hulk. And also a scientist. That's a that's an alternate mm-hmm. origin story of uh, of the Avengers. So I'm pretty upset you didn't ask her the uh, answer the yogurt question. I mean, um, and I'm pretty upset you didn't answer the booze on the front question. I mean, um, one, let's be real, booze on the front line of every war is pretty common. Yeah, but I mean, I wanted to know how common. But the, the fruit, because I feel like fruit and yogurt was always a thing. And he made it sound so revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought we were looking at our, Mr. Play. Our, uh, like, I thought that was his last name, was Play. <laughs> Aren't you sure it was just Christian Slater's uh, boyish charm? No, he made it sound. He's like, I got this crazy idea, guys. I'm going to take Swedish. I think he said Swedish yogurt or like Norwegian yogurt and mix it with fruit. And I was like, he's just talking about yogurt, yogurt. Like, What was his last name? Mr. Yoplay. I don't know what no, no, uh, Christian Slater's fucking name was. Look up his name because I think okay. I found your answer since you have been bothering <laughs> me so much right. about it. Let me IMBD this shit. Um, just tell me if his last name was Danone, D-A-N-O-N-E. Is that Danon? (laughs) (laughs) You're getting Uh, ahead of the answer here. We're improving research on the spot. Very unprofessional. We apologize. I mean, what are they expecting from us? (laughs) Wind talkers. Christian Slater played. Christian Slater played. Still looking. Still looking. Ox Henderson. Okay. So in uh, uh, originally known as uh, Danone, uh, a Bronx-based yogurt company opened its doors in 1942 with the goal of selling plain unsweetened yogurt, but it proved difficult uh, to grow sales. In 1947, they introduced the concept that had already been around in Europe, fruit. Mark Ruffalo came back to the United States and took Ox's idea that bastard <laughs> keep in mind it had already been a thing in europe okay it didn't it doesn't say i mean he's st- he still took the idea that bastard yeah but anyway 
So that that's that's our uh, historical analysis of wind talkers. Mm-hmm. It's terribly inaccurate when it even bothers to try. Yeah. With one exception, which I'm going to go ahead and assume was an accident. And um, um, despite being a movie about Native Americans, it is not about Native Americans. It's about white dudes. And the plot of this movie could fill a shot glass. Yep. That's how much plot there were. These guys Half got trained. Half a shot glass. These guys got trained to talk code using their own words. Uh-huh. They go to war. White guys are in charge. You got to conquer this island. We're not going to tell you why we need it. The end. <laughs> I mean, yeah, pretty much that it. That was it. And it's a two-hour-long movie, and I was like, why is this going on so long? Yeah. It, it literally could have been done in, like, five scenes after yeah, they arrived in, it was, in it was, Japan. It was pretty... In the, in the Pacific. And ending. there was that love story that made no sense. I think they did that pointless. just to pad length at some point. Like, yeah. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, that's it for for this uh, Hollywood analysis. Yes. Um, follow us on the Insta and the Twitter. Yeah, yes, please. Listen to us everywhere you listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. I mean... To most people, that means listening multiple times. Yeah. Just listen once, but listen on your favorite. Yeah, but you can listen multiple times. It gets our numbers up there. I don't know what that means. I'm underwear nominated at this point. It's listeners plus something equals profits. We'll figure out what that something is. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, in the meantime, when you tell your friends about lax historical context. Tell them we're doing... Oh, wow. What? Wow. I get to do it today. Tell them we said something interesting.